Hi, welcome to Living Catholic. I'm Dr. David Anders. This is the weekly podcast from the Diocese of Birmingham on how we can live our Catholic faith and relationship with Christ more fully. Uh, I'm joined today by Sister Mary Juliana Cox, a principal at St. Rose Academy, Dominican school here in Birmingham. We're going to talk about living our Catholic faith in connection to the Eucharist, uh, and especially Eucharistic adoration. And with the school angle, a little bit of interest in the question of bringing children into that kind of Eucharistic experience of our Lord. Uh, Sister, welcome to Living Catholic. Thank you so much for having me, David. It's always a blessing to be with you. Well, it's a blast to spend time with you, and you know I'm kind of like a, a lay Dominican geek. You know, I'm a big St. Thomas fan, and uh, I remember the day when I was driving downtown Birmingham years and years ago when I was a new Catholic, but I knew all about Dominicans, and I drove right past St. Rose, and I look up, and I saw the big Dominican seal, yes. and I was like, they got Dominicans here! That is so cool! So, you know, I've always loved to have the sisters around, so thank you so much. Uh, as you know, our bishop, Bishop Reka, has declared a year of the parish in the Eucharist, and so this podcast is really themed on that and different aspects of parish life, and of course, Eucharist and the parish are deeply connected as the Eucharist yes. is to all of Christian life. And uh, But you have a particular interest in the question of the Eucharist and Eucharistic adoration uh, in the lives of children. And I know, I mean, I've been around St. Rose for years, and even in the primary building for the little kids, mm-hmm. you've got a chapel with the Blessed Sacrament reserved, you know, at about the appropriate, like, a foot and a half off the ground, right? right you know, right. and you've always wanted to make sure that the, that the children have the Blessed Sacrament and proximity to our Lord. That's an integral part of the St. Rose mission, isn't it? That is so true. And our sisters, so St. Rose began in 1956, um, a gift from uh, Terrence and Rosemary Mackin, um, the home, the Mackin home being given to our community of sisters in Nashville to be a home of formation for young children, so as a school. And so from the very beginning, our sisters have seen the role of the Eucharist as the source and summit of the Christian life um, as integral to the formation of the young children. So um, even when the primary building began in the 90s, to have um, one of the rooms, there aren't many rooms in that building, but to have one of the four rooms as um, as a chapel for three, four, and five-year-olds. So they they have tiny pews their size uh, with tiny kneelers. Um, so they learn um, the bodily gestures that were so part and parcel of um, the life of St. Dominic in teaching the brethren to pray with their whole bodies, uh, body and soul united together in worship before the Lord. And so we teach them that from the time they come to us as three-year-olds um, and really help them to understand that our Lord became small for them um, in the Eucharist, in the host, and that um, they can become small before him, um, which leads to um, teaching them how to pray with their bodies and how to silence and still their bodies to be quiet, to be able also to listen to him. That's beautiful. Now, you know, you made me think of something when you were talking about St. Dominic as the example and we need to live uh, St. Dominic's spirituality. Um, and that's true. And I thought, well, you know, St. Dominic also carried the gospel of St. Matthew with him everywhere, and that's not yes. a bad thing to do. But I thought about an event from the life of St. Dominic that was realized in one of my son's lives uh, in a funny way. And, you know, um, my, my fourth child's middle name is Dominic. He's named for St. Dominic. Dominic, you remember this story. He had to cross a river, and he did not have money for the ferryman. 
And, uh, and he asked the guy to take him across. The guy said, well, you need to pay me or I won't take you across. He says, I don't have any money. And the fair guy says, well, tough, no- yeah, tough noogies for you. I'm not taking you across. So Dominic prays. Then he looks down on the ground and he finds exact change. And he picks it up, hands it to the ferryman and goes across. So God answered his prayer. Well, one time, my Dominic, this is a true story. I'm not making this up. My Dominic uh, is, uh, he's probably about eight years old. And he says, Daddy, will you take me to Toys R Us and let me buy a Lego? And I said, well, you know, your older brother can take you, but do you have money for it? He says, no, but, you know, have faith, my son. God will provide the way. <laughs> and I'm like, that pure faith you're, of children. you're, you're yes. out of your head. He's like, I'm going, all right? I don't have the money, but God will give it to me. And, uh, and he gets in the car with his older brother, Jonathan, and off they go to the toy store. And John says, do you have money for this Lego? He says, no, but I'm praying that God will give me the $20 to get what I need. God, please give me the money I need for this Lego. And John's like, I don't want you to be disappointed. That's just not the way it usually works. So right. we'll go to the store, but don't get your hopes up. They drive into the parking lot at the Summit Mall in front of Toys R Us. They park the car. Justin opens the door to the car, looks down, and on the ground outside the car is a $20 bill. Of course. And he picks it up and goes, told you. They go in. And never look back. And they never look back, you know. And that's always my favorite St. Dominic story for for Justin. Anyway, but uh, enough of that. I want to get to the question briefly, because, look, people like to hear from religious about how they ended up where they are. Before the show, you were telling me about the the role of the Eucharist in your own vocation to religious life and maybe maybe something from, you know, your family background that led you to this particular vocation. Of course. So um, I think my parents were both just beautiful examples in um, their own devotion to the Blessed Sacrament. So having holy hours and um, desiring to spend time with our Lord. So in that time of discernment, um, when I was uh, discerning which community and and just my own vocation um, to the Lord, as is the case with many of our sisters, that it was really the watershed moment of um, surrender and realizing that our Lord was, in essence, proposing um, for me to belong completely to him, to give my heart to him in that particular way as a religious was in Eucharistic adoration. And I think that's true for so many religious that um, because it's it's God Himself before us. Um, there's you know the the veil is removed and um, that intimacy can be um, so greatly achieved by being in His presence um, with Him exposed on the altar. And so um, I can remember the biggest moment for me was um, going to visit our community in Nashville to the Mother House and um, having that time of adoration on that Saturday night during Mm. the vocation retreat and um, really feeling like it was just Jesus and myself in that chapel at that moment. And he, um, in essence, getting down on one knee and and asking, how long will you put me off? Um, Mm. How much longer will you wait? Um, By that point, I was, um, in essence, in my senior year in in college at Texas A&M and um, had... uh, options before me of, of which direction my life could take possibly. But, um, I knew, and I think I actually said to my dad at one point, I feel like I would be being disobedient if I didn't enter the convent right now. Um, that it was, it was so clear and so strong that I didn't feel like there was an option. Um, not in so far as I was being coerced by any stretch, but that, 
when such a proposal is before you, you can't help but say yes. Um, wow. So wow. that that clarity that comes from being in his presence. And that emerged for you really in, in, in conjunction with your, your prayer life, which was very Eucharistic at the time. And yes. You know, John yes. Paul II says that, in his opinion, that Eucharistic adoration is the greatest devotion mm. that the Church that makes has. makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. uh, sure. and I've heard what you just said, I've heard from many religious... Yes. Uh, and others that have begun apostolates, whether, you know, lay apostolates or religious vocation. And I said, where did this come from? And they were like, well, you know, I was kind of spending a lot of time in the Adoration Chapel. And then this sense came to me that this is the direction I need to go. That clarity comes when we yeah. give them that time. Yeah. You know the story of André Frossard, the journalist who was friends with John Paul II? Yes. And he, he was an atheist. Right. And somebody asked him to meet him at an Adoration Chapel in Paris, and he was just like, okay, whatever, and he walks in the door and looks up, and all of a sudden he said he believed the entire Catholic faith. It was like, you know, yes. I'm not guaranteeing that outcome, of course, for everybody, but that, you know, that sense of vocation can come. And that faith um, is very clear in the lives of our children, too. I think um, that many children who come to us um, who aren't Catholic, that has been such a huge moment for them when they recognize this is God before me um, and they their own desire for having him more part of their lives grows. And that's led to several students coming into the church um, as a result of that. I know um, there was a young lady a few years ago who it was um, her class was being confirmed, and we had um, a period of adoration over in our convent, which is on the same grounds as St. Rose. And um, so we had the the eighth grade class over in our convent chapel for a time of adoration and going to confession. And she, this young lady, was just writing the whole time, um, looking up at the Blessed Sacrament, looking back down and writing, kind of this battle going on. Um, and as she was... Before him, she realized she was asking him all of her questions about being Catholic or about her belief in him, and she said she had this very clear sense that he was actively answering them systematically, Mm. like one by one, and dispelling all of her doubts. And when she went to their confirmation that night, it was just this clarity, again, that comes from being in his presence, that that clear-mindedness that the only answer is that he is enough, that she doesn't need to have all the answers all figured out right. about everything. She just needs to make the right, the next best decision, um, right. yes. which is just for him, and um, that he will work everything else out for her in time. And so she actually came into the church that Easter. Um, so it was a, a great a great gift, but that that miracle of, that, of faith that happens when we give him the time and the space to do his work. I, I love what you said about um, the path being simply the next right step. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a beautiful way to think about the vocation in, of Christian life. Just do the next right thing. <laughs> you don't have thing. to figure everything else out. Right? That's fantastic. Yes. That, I, that's a beautiful story. You know, Christ is enough. doesn't mean every answer, but I, this gives me the path to step right here, right now. I love right. that. That's fantastic. And that, he's, and that he's in it, that he's in that next step. Okay, mm-hmm. so let's talk a little bit. You're, you're the expert on this, all right? You're the expert. Uh, you have <laughs> how many kids at St. Rose now? Um, about 180 right okay. now. Okay, you've got 180 squirmy young people. All right, that you have formed to stillness. 
Yes. I mean, you certainly not by myself because everyone knows I am not the most still person in the world. <laughs> True, sure. you've got a whole team, right? Yes. Eucharist adoration is an exercise in stillness. Yes. All right. How do you do it? How do you get 180 squirmy worms to learn stillness? It's a great question. Um, actually, I was talking, I'm teaching currently the fifth grade religion class, and I was asking my fifth graders something about that this afternoon. You know, what is it here at St. Rose that um, that has helped to form you to be in the Lord's presence um, during times of adoration or, or just when we make chapel visits? And one of the things that one of the gentlemen pointed out was that, um, well, the atrium helps to prepare us. So the atrium is um, that privileged place of formation um, that gets its name from that from that place of preparation as the as you enter the church. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that place of preparing your mind and your heart to meet the Lord um, in the liturgy. And so um, Sophia Cavalletti, Maria Montessori, Montessori got the name atrium from that place in the church of preparation. And so the atrium is a is a room where the children can um, enter into the gestures and all of the um, vessels, the sacred vestments vessels that are used for the liturgy, for worship. And they're led through their catechist, through... Um, quieting their minds and their hearts. They're prepared. You prepare even before you walk into the atrium, how to walk into the atrium, how how to move, how to sit, um, how to listen to the Lord. And they know the atrium is one of the places where the Lord actively speaks to the children through the materials that they're using, through scripture. Um, they have scripture studies and um, they they use all of the materials that the priests would use in the Mass, so they learn how to set the altar. They learn um, all of the prayers at the Mass. They can make their own missal to help them with the liturgy um, during the Mass. And so um, the children really are are taught by the catechists how to how to walk calmly into the atrium to prepare. They know that they have to prepare their bodies if they're going to have their minds and their hearts spoken to by the Lord if they so that they can hear him. So it really begins, again, from three years old um, in the atrium, even from that young age. Um, they're taught just very simple things, how to sit on the floor in the atrium. Um, so they practice sitting down. Um, and really for the children to be able to sit quietly and with a still body, which they actually really desire. They they want to be able to do that. Um, they want, they love being still and quiet and in the Lord's presence once they have a taste for it um, and know that they can do it. Um, so it takes time, and it, but it takes practice. They just have to be taught um, and, and, and being given the opportunities to practice over time. Um, but then um, given, giving them the knowledge that they're with a person, that they're not just sitting in the chapel in nothingness, you know, or they're not just emptying themselves of self for that purpose, mm-hmm. but that their their stillness and their silence is filled by the Lord himself, That and that the more they make themselves a capacity the more he can pour himself out in that torrent 
um, that he so desires to be for us. You know, what you're saying about the formation of children, I mean, you're speaking to me right now, and I'm getting formed, you know, I'm being edified. (laughs) And it seems everything that you just said is applicable to three-year-olds is applicable to 50-year-olds too. Yes, and to myself. I'm preaching to myself too. I think I read a book a couple years ago by a researcher named Nicholas Carr. Uh, I think the cut of the book was um, The Shallows, about how the internet is changing our brains. Mm. And that was his thesis, right? That, the, that I could that, say a lot about that. that it's, <laughs> it's directing us, you know, a mile wide and an inch deep into yeah. our engagement with reality. Yeah. And one of the most salient points, it was an illustration, he said that uh, he talked about Google spending some insane amount of money, millions of dollars, to research what shade of blue would draw the most click-throughs, right, on a particular website. I mean, that level of, of focused attention wow. on how to unfocus other people's attention, wow. you know, onto, onto the flitting, passing, uh, uh, ephemeral world of the Internet. And, you know, somebody who grew up before the Internet, I did all my studies, all the way through Ph.D. studies, without the benefit of all this electronic communication, and it didn't come online until I was, you know, working in professional life, uh, I began to discern the, that my cognition was changing, you know, and yes. I feel it's almost like an itch if I have some passing curiosity, yes. right, to reach for the phone and 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 Google it to look it yes. up and to satisfy my instant need for trivial knowledge, and it's uh, it's positively addicting, and uh, and I discern in myself like uh, if I'm not conscious, if I'm not intentional. It become increasingly difficult for me to generate that kind of interior stillness, and right. um, that you're talking about. Um, so, I mean, obviously, so that, for that reason, I think it's much more difficult for us as adults, um, and in, in certain generations um, who have grown up with technology at their fingertips, um, more so than it is for the very young ones who hopefully, God willing, have not had um, exposure to technology in, in that great of quantity. Um, it, it, we do see a big difference in the minds of the children who um, are given more to technology um, and being on screens than the children who don't have that and, and are allowed to engage in that imaginative play. Um, they're much more able to quiet their minds and their hearts to be able to hear the voice of God speaking. You know, when I, when I think about it, I don't think I can come up with anything in our culture today, psychologically, I mean, the real presence of Christ notwithstanding, but just from the psychological point of view, that it provides anything like the experience of Eucharistic adoration just mm-hmm. in its aspect of stillness mm-hmm. uh, and focused attention— on something that's non-discursive, you know, I can sit and pay attention to a text, but the idea of sitting and paying attention to a presence, mm-hmm. where where else in the in society do we have anything analogous? I don't know that we do. Right. Right. And and what we find is that when the children are able to be in the Lord's presence and listen to Him, they're much more able to listen and to recognize. The, pres- the real presence of the person sitting in front of them and not be as um, desirous, I think, of the virtual presence of those with whom they're gaming or whatever um, uh, and through technology. So 
I think that um, there the it can they can only benefit from being um, in that real presence and making that connection that um, the person with whom they're speaking is another real presence. And so um, that's another just beautiful hallmark of um, of St. Rose Academy is that the children are taught from also from three years old um, that reverence and respect that are owed to the people, the real people yes. that they need to have eye contact with and give that pres- their own presence to um, and respect and recognize the dignity of Christ present in that person. So that hopefully translates over um, then when they when they are taught that this is the Lord's presence, and so that same reverence and respect that you give to your teachers even more is given to the Lord. You know, there's a passage of Scripture that came to my mind while you were speaking in Mark chapter 10, which is the story of the rich young ruler that comes to Christ, mm-hmm. and he's his good teacher, and Christ decides to play with him a little bit and says, why are you calling me good? What's up with me? You know, <laughs> and, uh, and, and the, the kid, of course, says, you know, I've kept all these commands. I've got it all worked out. But obviously he's dissatisfied. Mm-hmm. Like it's not doing it for him. Mm-hmm. That's not doing it for him. And then only Mark's version, other, this story is in other Gospels, but only Mark has this line. It says, then Jesus looked at him and loved, loved him. him. I think that's got to be my favorite passage of Scripture because it goes exactly to what you're talking about. Like Christ as a, it, there's nothing being offered there other than himself. Right. And that look, that look exactly. of love and what that must have been. Um, and that we have the blessing to be able to experience that when we go to adoration. So the children, um, we do have First Friday adoration, um, so they'll, they're very much looking forward to that tomorrow after um, having their week of te- standardized tests this week for the oh, Yeah, I've been hearing so, all about the standardized tests yes. this week. So they'll, they're just delighted to be able just to have that silence and just be with the Lord But um, tomorrow. But um, in addition to that, we have um, – this is the only school that I'm aware of that we um, own and operate in which the ch- every class has a scheduled time of every single day of making a chapel visit. And part of the morning routine, I know, in the primary building is the children come in, they hang up their things in their cubby, they make a chapel visit, so they visit the Lord, say good morning to him, and then they greet the adult in the classroom. Fantastic. Um, so that – that translates then. We we greet the people right. um, who are in charge of the building. Yes. So the Lord first and then our teachers. Um, but also that structured time of, of prayer that the children are given every day um, as a class to pray for the, the intentions um, of their family members. Or um, I know some teachers sometimes like to change it where they are given different ways, kind of a different toolkit. Um, so to speak, of of how how to pray, how to be in the Lord's presence. So it's not something that we that they can come to us and we expect them to know immediately how to do, okay. um, but how to be still before the Lord. So we're not just expecting complete statues the you know right. the whole time, but that um, that time can be used to have different devotions. Um, we give primacy of place to sacred scripture. So yes. um, Lexio Divina, they're taught how to do that and. Um, times for praying the rosary for Divine Mercy Chaplet, um, song, praying to the Lord with song. Um, so they're given 
many different opportunities to express their, themselves to the Lord in different ways and to hear him speaking to them in different ways. So what about, uh, this just occurs to me. What about the actual visual contact with the Blessed Sacrament, which is the point of exposition, right, that we can see him? Right. Is that something you talk about? Yes. Um, so we, we teach them, of course, in the atrium, they, they learn um, what the monstrance is called and that um, our Lord is is there um, exposed before them on the altar. And we talk about how um, the Lord makes himself so vulnerable in this sacrament that he's, even the word exposition, to be exposed, mm, mm-hmm. Um that he's extra vulnerable because he's not locked away in the tabernacle. Um, we talk about how the Lord waits for them at the tabernacle as, you know, kind of a prisoner of love, in essence, that he's locked in there, but that he chooses to be, um, that he desires to wait for them in there. And we try to encourage them to make that choice, um, not to just go visit him when they're led there by their teacher, um, but really any time that they pass by the chapel to make the choice out of love for him to visit him. Um, so I was so inspired. I talked about it the other morning um, during our morning prayers with the children that uh, we were about to end our day with prayer, and I noticed one of the first graders genuflecting um, just outside the the chapel in the Mackin house um, mm. on her way back to her classroom. And I was so struck by that, that um, a six-year-old, could could make that choice to use her will to venerate the presence of of Jesus in the Eucharist in the chapel. Um, so they're taught the the reality that He is present there, hidden for them. But then those special times when He is um, exposed and makes Himself extra vulnerable, hoping that they will make themselves even more vulnerable and exposed to Him those parts of their heart that maybe they haven't completely given over to him. Uh, We talk about um, those parts of our heart that haven't come completely under his lordship yet, and to really allow themselves to spend that time searching, Lord, what else do you need me to give over to you? Um, That those places of shame, of um, embarrassment or whatever that part of my heart is that I haven't yet let you have completely or let you into. So as the door to the tabernacle is opened, so the door of my heart is opened and he can come in and knowing that um, all he needs to have happen is for him to be let in and then he can work his miracles in those places. That's beautiful. Uh you know, the Church tells us that Eucharistic adoration is intrinsically ordered to the sacrifice of the Mass, mm-hmm. right? Is that something you, I mean, without using that language of intrinsic order, all right, do you try to form the kids to, in their minds to connect what they're doing in adoration to to the Church's celebration of the Mass? I think so. Um, we could probably always do a better job of it, but I think that even just that natural flow from, um, so at the end of Mass tomorrow, um, which we'll be celebrating together in our gym, then we go, Father processes with the Blessed Sacrament, the second graders who have just made their first communion will follow him, 
as the honor guard of the Blessed Sacrament. So they they go down to the chapel where Jesus is exposed for the yeah. rest of the day on First Friday. So um, I think just that physical connection. Absolutely. That, that Father. So they actually they process from the close of the Mass right. to the Adoration Chapel. That's right. right. This is where Christ is made present. Now mm-hmm. we're going to go repose him. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so I think um, them seeing that connection and that um, it leads them to pray for for the priesthood, for more priests to be able to to bring us Jesus in the Eucharist. Amen. Um, so I think it's uh, it stirs up in them maybe their own their own calling to the to the priesthood as well. Um, I know many of our young men right now are discerning that call. So um, it's a it's a great gift. We have actually five men in formation right now that have graduated from Saint Rose who are in seminary or in some aspect of formation right right now. Good job. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, brass tacks for people that, like, you want to try this at home, okay? (laughs) Um, If you're forming children, what would your counsel be? You know, do you start out for a holy hour, a holy half hour, a fully 15 minutes, a holy Mm -hmm. five minutes? You know, how does age affect that? What would what would be your practical advice? Yeah, I think it depends on the age of the children. I I guess my, my foundational premise would be don't underestimate what they're capable of. Um, I think we don't ask enough of our children mm. in terms of what they desire, what they want to do, and what we expect of them. Um, they they very much, um, as their understanding grows of who it is before them and that he is speaking to them, there is a greater desire for to hear to hear what he's saying. Um, But I think um, with small children, you know, perhaps um, under the age of five, um, to to give them practice at being silent and and listening to the voice of the Lord speaking. So um, maybe reading a small scripture passage to them, even just a line or two, and um, and challenging them, you know, um, listen in your heart. What what is Jesus saying? What is Jesus telling you about what He just said in the scripture passage? My experience is that they they always have something to say. <laughs> they they will always hear Jesus saying something <laughs> and want to tell you about it. Um, it's it's been really beautiful to hear um, some of the sisters even share what some of their students have said um, during those times of adoration. And um, when the sister asks, you know, what, what did Jesus say to you today? And, um, and they, they have very concrete things that they, that they share in return. Um, so just starting even with that, um, helping the children to understand Jesus is speaking. And if we give him the time and the space to speak, that, that he will. So giving um, just a, a few minutes, maybe about five minutes um, of prayer time together of just being silent and listening, um, teaching those um, those devotions, um, praying with sacred images, um, mm. so teaching them about this story that mm-hmm. happened, maybe the Annunciation, and having them just look at it and being silent with the image, and then um, having them share with you what they notice. Um, even going to the chapel, tell me about what you see. I see the angels 
I see candles. Why do you think there are candles there? And so leading them to wonder, leading them to, um, through our own questions, helping them to articulate what they're seeing and keeping their attention up there um, at the altar. You know, I, everything that you just said, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, you could do this with adults. Oh, yeah. Everything you just said. Mm-hmm. It works with kids, mm-hmm. but learning the prayers of the church, meditating on a few lines of scripture, <laughs> co- being called to focus your attention, being asked to reflect and share. I mean, you can do this right. with adults. Right, I right. need this. It, we well, all need I, this. I do too, yes. You know? <laughs> and I'm speaking from experience. I, I have to have my little rosary meditation book with me so that I with the holy images in there so that I focus and concentrate on, on the words that I'm praying. So Absolutely. It's so true. And and it it really does help us to calm down and to think about um, you know, why are there candles up there burning? What does that mean? Um, why why would the church want us to remember to be lit, to be on fire, you know? Um, so just even t- our, ourselves slowing down and taking the time to wonder, our own wonder can then help to form the children and, and how to do that. I think that's a very lost art. Um, when so much information is coming at us, we don't have to wonder about anything anymore. We just Google it. And, right. and it's given to us. Um, so cultivating in ourselves that art of wonder can help our children too. Beautiful. Sister Mary Juliana Cox, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Dr. On Living it's Catholic. always an honor. So if you like our podcast, uh, please subscribe, tell your friends about it. We update on a weekly basis. Uh, and uh, thank you for being with us. Thank you. God bless you.